Pastor Xavier Reese and the certain, simple, and true judgment of God. Man forgets that God has many ways of bringing judgment and uses who he wills as the instrument of judgment. God used one man, Noah, to judge the entire world. God used Babylon, a more wicked nation, to bring his people into judgment and captivity. We look at these stories and we think, well, that's fine for them, but God doesn't act like that now. Really? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Books of Bible promises are a common thing today, mentioning Scripture's promises for health, fulfillment, protection, and growth. But maybe not so commonly recited are God's certain promises of judgment for wrongdoing and disobedience. And so, coming up in a study of Jeremiah chapter 39, Pastor Xavier uses the example of King Zedekiah, known for doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, to illustrate the righteous judgment of the Holy God is certain indeed. Let's listen. The faithfulness of God to His Word is revealed through these three events. First, the fall of Jerusalem, verse 1 through 3, and verse 8 through 10. Secondly, the failure of Zedekiah in verse 4 through 7. And then the favor of God's servants in verse 11 through 18. Let's begin here with the fall of Jerusalem. The date of the siege against Jerusalem was in the ninth year of Zedekiah in the tenth month, verse 1 tells us. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his armies came against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. January of 587 B.C. The fall of Jerusalem brought total destruction. In verse 8, the Chaldeans burned the king's houses, the house of the people with fire, and they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. The temple was also burned. How interesting, they would burn their children on the arms of Molech in the valley of Kidron there, of Hinnom. And now God judged them with fire. In verse 9, notice that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captives to Babylon. And the remnant of the people who had uh, remained in the city, and those who had defected to him with the rest of the people who had remained. Now remember, Jeremiah has been saying, listen, you guys just go to the Chaldeans, just give up, surrender. And this is one of the reasons he got in trouble. And many of these people did go out. And so now, as they trusted God to surrender, now they're taking the Babylon to live for 70 years in peace. As God had promised. It seemed to be suicide at the time. But now, they see, good thing I trusted God. Notice, secondly, we have the failure of Zedekiah. We've seen the fall of Jerusalem. Now the failure of Zedekiah here. Epitomizes the keeping promises of God. Notice in verse 4. Zedekiah thought he could escape the judgment of Yahweh. This is always a mistake. If you think you're the exception to the rule of judgment, you're wrong. In verse 4, there's Zedekiah and all the men of war. Seeing the city had been penetrated, the men were there. They went out the city by night attempting to not be seen. The leaders running. If you've been reading Jeremiah, you know that Zedekiah had twice secretly met with Jeremiah before this. And he asked him secretly in his house, Is there any word from the Lord? You see, listen, wait. Zedekiah? 
loved to hear Jeremiah. He loved to hear the word. But you know what? He never obeyed it. Zedekiah epitomizes many people in the church today. They, they love coming to church. They feel good. They love hearing the message. Oh, yes, yes. But they don't do anything about it. The failure of Zedekiah was hearing the word of God and not obeying it. Don't be comfortable with just hearing it. You have to embrace it. Notice secondly in verse 5. Zedekiah forgot that the Babylonians were the instrument of judgment. Babylon was God's instrument of judgment. He, for, he thought he could escape God's judgment. It was his first mistake. Now he had forgotten this was God's hand. In verse 5, the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plain of Jericho. And they captured him. And notice that they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, at Riblah, the land of Hamath. And there he pronounced judgment on him. Notice thirdly in verse 6 and 7. Zedekiah had disobeyed the Lord and had repeated, he had reaped the horrible consequences through judgment. In verse 6, Nebuchadnezzar then killed his sons before his eyes at Riblah and the nobles of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar had placed Zedekiah on the throne. When he took his nephew Jehoiachin, who was the son of Jehoiakim, all the kings that we have recorded here were sons of Josiah, the godly king, except for Jehoiachin, who was the son of one of his sons, Jehoiakim. And when he took Jehoiachin and he took him to Babylon, he put Zedekiah over the throne of Israel and he made him vow allegiance to him. So Zedekiah has got to go face the king who put him on the throne and who he had so foolishly trusted as false prophets and trusted in the arm of flesh of Egypt. And now he's defeated. He's got to go face this king. His judgment comes. He has reaped to it. His foolishness and trusting in the arm of flesh has brought nothing but destruction to his life. He sees his sons wiped out before his eyes as the last image that he ever sees before his eyes are plucked out. And he sees all of his nobles destroyed. Even as God has said, if you surrender, you'll live. If you rebel, you're going to die. Look at verse 7. Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah out, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. This fulfilled the two prophecies. He would see Nebuchadnezzar face to face, and he would be taken to Babylon. And we have those prophecies as we've gone through Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, verse 4 through 5, and Jeremiah 34, verse 3. What's interesting is, Ezekiel was over in Babylon. And Ezekiel prophesied and acted out this whole scenario. In Ezekiel 12, verse 11 through 13. Listen to him. Say, I am assigned to you. God is telling Ezekiel to tell the people. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulders. Speaking of Zedekiah. At the twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him and he shall be caught by my snare. I will bring him to Babylon to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it 
though he shall die there. So Ezekiel was to make a hole in the wall, put a sack over his thing, cover his eyes, look down to declare what was going to happen to Zedekiah, and he would flee from the city, he would try to escape, he would go to Babylon, but never see it. Well, that's stupid, that contradicts. How can that be fulfilled? Because his eyes were plucked on, he went to Babylon, but he never saw it. As impossible as some of the things in the Word of God seem to you, don't depend on your BB brain. You trust God. There's nothing impossible. When you leave God out of the equation, then you lean to your own understanding. You're seeking destruction. You make sure you insert God in the equation. Always, okay? As a child of God. Very, very important. In fact... The book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, records for us some very important truths regarding Zedekiah that you and I do not want to miss, okay? 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 13. Listen to them well. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. Now listen, here are the truths important for you and me. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. That was his first mistake. Second, And did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. The word of God. Third, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God. He broke his word. No character. Fourth, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. He refused to repent. The bottom line. Now, those things apply to you. Those things apply to me. They're warnings for me. They're flashing, not yellow lights. It's not slow down. They're flashing red lights. I better stop and really observe them. I need to think about these things. How many people today believe that they will escape the judgment of God for whatever reason? Because they think they're smart or they think there's no God. They think it's all a myth, a little story we put together. It doesn't really matter. The Bible says that he who has a son has life. And he who has not a son has not life. John 3.36. There's no exception. Either you are forgiven by the son or you're under wrath of God because you don't have the son as your Lord and Savior. There's no exception. In fact, Paul the Apostle put it this way to the Romans in Romans 2, 4 through 6. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. People are always crying. That's not fair. Listen, you want fair? If you get fair before the throne of God without being saved, you're going to wish you never asked for fairness. Because every man and woman will get exactly what they deserve if they die in their sin. And that's separation from God. Man forgets that God has many ways of bringing judgment on nations, And uses who he wills as the instrument of judgment. We look at these stories and we think, well, that's fine for them, but God doesn't act like that now. Really? Did God tell you this? 
You have some extra pages in your Bible that I don't? God used one man, Noah, to judge the entire world. Genesis 7 through 9. God used the nation of Israel to judge the people of the land for their abominations. The book of Joshua tells us exactly the conquest. God used Assyria as the rod of his anger against Israel, the northern kingdom. Isaiah 10.5 tells us. God used Babylon, a more wicked nation, to bring his people into judgment and captivity. And the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1 had a difficult time with it. Are we so brash to think that God cannot use wicked and ungodly nations to judge the United States? Remember chapter 7, the temple sermon? Don't trust in lying lives, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. The temple is not going to save you. In fact, it's greater judgment. You guys are saying, you know, Yahweh. You guys are saying, oh, the temple of the Lord. And you're not obeying His word. Our money says, in God we trust. And yet, we can't pray in school. We can't say the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> greater judgment. Do we think... That this was just for then and it cannot be for today? Oh, we are foolish people. Listen to 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25. Some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow it later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So God sometimes allows people to be judged by the consequences of their lifestyle. And then he'll judge them at the end. And then other people, you, you say, man, he gets away with everything. Listen, there's a checkout counter. Never be envious of the wicked. Never be envious of those who get away with evil. If you do, either you're carnal or you're not born again. The failure of Zedekiah was to not believe the word of God. Through the years he reigned. Notice the third event. The favor of God's servants in verse 11 through 18. First in verse 11 through 14. The prophet Jeremiah was treated like a friend, not a foe by the Babylonians here. For being what? A faithful prophet. Notice in verse 11 and 12, the command regarding Jeremiah came directly from Nebuchadnezzar. Underline that. This came from straight, like from President Bush. Boom. The head guy. Take him. Look after him. Do him no harm. But do to him just as he says to you. Can you imagine that? This nation has just conquered the Israel. And, and, and they let Jeremiah says, What do you want us to do to you? <laughs> Is this God's faithfulness? Talk about the impossibility. This is the answer to his call in chapter 1. Don't be dismayed before their faces as I confound you. I've made you a prophet to the nations. I will be with you. I will protect you. I will deliver you. Whew. Forty years later, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar were sent then to take Jeremiah from the prison, verse 13 and 14. That was the court of the prison which uh, he remained till the day that Jerusalem was taken in chapter 38, verse 28. And so Nebuchadnezzar's captains of the guards sent the men in verse 13 there at the beginning. The men are repeated here. Uh, Nebuzaradan, uh, Rabsiris, Nagel, Shezer, Shereser, and Rabmog, and the rest of the king's Babylon chief officers. And these men, in turn, here you have the delegation of military order, 
sent other men to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison, and they committed him to Gedaliah, that he should take him home, and he dwelt there. Again, once again, if you move into the next chapter, it seems contradictory, but it isn't. He did go to Gedaliah. Somehow, in the mopping up uh, events, he was taken as a prisoner and chained, taken to Ramah, and there he was released again. So read real closely, you'll see there's no contradiction, okay? Now, Shaphan was an important official under Josiah. Uh, and he was involved in finding the scroll in Second Kings 22, if you remember. Ahiakim was Jeremiah's friend who saved him from death after the temple sermon in chapter 26, verse 24. And Jeremiah stands as the faithful servant of God, committed in his sufferings, as First Peter 4.19 says. He's the epitome of God's servant here, just as God had promised. But there's one more guy, and we find him in verses 15 through 18. The Ethiopian eunuch was told his trust in God would not be overlooked. Now, verse 15 says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison. So we have to put it back in its context, okay? A lot of commentators say, well, this is not, they shouldn't be here, should be over here. But again, they forget about the Eastern book. The Eastern book gives you the detail afterwards and you insert them back. Chapter 1 of Genesis, 1, 2, 3, 4, how God created the world. Chapter 2, the details to be put back in chapter 1. Okay? So now here's the details of what happened. So once again here, the chronology is not the focus. Being that Eastern book, you have to put them back into chapter 38, verse 13 and 28. When he's in prison, after the Ethiopian eunuch came and pulled him out of the miry cistern, God came to Jeremiah and says, Now you tell this guy, I'm going to take care of him for his faithfulness. Okay? But notice how beautifully it's designed in this chapter because this, this chapter through these three events demonstrates what? That God keeps His promises. Amazing. This word came after Abimelech had rescued Jeremiah. Look at verse 16. Yahweh told Jeremiah to go and to speak to Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, about the present judgment. So first of all, he wants this Ethiopian to understand the judgment is of his own. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of Israel, the one who is destroying the city, the one who's fighting against the city, the God of Israel, the one who gave birth to this nation. He was to know two things. All was in fulfillment of his word. Behold, I will bring my words upon the city for adversity, not for good. Secondly, he would see it for himself, and they shall be performed in that day before you. He would see it, so that he would know it's not coincidence. But then notice in verse 17 and 18. Yahweh told Jeremiah to tell Abed-Melech that he would protect him in the day of captivity. Now this is important. Notice what he says. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of, of whom, listen, here's the key, in whom you are afraid. This Ethiopian eunuch was not an Israelite, a foreigner. Remind you of the Rechabites? And he says, you know, what they did to Jeremiah is wrong. I'm going to intervene for him. Go to the king, which he did. And yet he took his life in his own hands for the injustice. And he says, wow, now the city's taken. I'm dead. And God says, you're very much afraid. But I'm for you. Wow. Yahweh had seen his trust in him. For I will surely deliver you and you shall not fall by the sword. But your life shall be as a prize to you because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. There's the key. Because you trust in me. He did not trust in the lying prophets. He did not fear the earthly king Zedekiah. 
He did not turn his head from the injustices done to Jeremiah. He did not value his own life at, over the life of Jeremiah. The Ethiopian eunuch had lived up to his name, Abed-Melech, the king's servant. The real king's servant. Not the earthly king. He was a servant of the king in heaven. And God rewarded him for this. Daniel trusted God as he was accused falsely and cast into the lion's den. And in the morning, Daniel was vindicated. And he was removed and his accusers judged. It seemed impossible, yet God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lion. Amazing. Jesus called his disciples friends. Sons and daughters, because they trusted in his word. John 1.12 says, But as many as received them, to them he gave the right or the authority to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Have you believed in the name of Jesus? I'm not talking about just believing in it and doing nothing. Don't be like Zedekiah. You have to believe and entrust your whole life to him so he changes you. Jesus has set us free if we have embraced him. The power of sin has no more dominion over us. We still have sin nature, but we're not slaves to that sin nature anymore. Even as Paul tells the Romans in Romans six nineteen through 20 I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to the more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free to regards to righteousness. Now being slaves of righteousness, we are no longer slaves to sin. By the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, by the work in us. He has changed our mind, our heart, our lives completely. Jesus will overlook nothing in your life. He will see and hear everything. He will overlook nothing in the service of the King of Heaven. Hebrews 6.10 says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Are you interested in seeing and making sure that you're seen by man? Are you interested in having the applause of man or the one of the king? God will reward every person. No one will lose anything. And yet many in that day will lose much because they've done it for the wrong motivation instead of for the king. The favor of God's servants was due to their trust in Yahweh through the years, through the difficult times, through the times that it seems impossible, through the times that doubt comes in, when they don't feel, when they're depressed, whatever it may be, and they look to the king who's in heaven. And they said like Job, even though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Amen. The faithfulness of God to his word is revealed to these three events. The fall of Jerusalem had been proclaimed for 40 years. The failure of Zedekiah was not to believe the word of God through his years. And the favor of God's servants was due to their trust in Yahweh through the years. May we learn from these three events. They declare that God keeps His promises. He is faithful. May we be faithful to Him. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, closing our look at chapter 39 in our study series of the book of Jeremiah, illustrating a God certain to fulfill His promises of judgment for disobedience and faithfulness to deliver those who trust Him. And just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled God Keeps His Promises are available on CD for only $4. And we'll be including everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is simply God Keeps His Promises or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 